Thank you so much for joining us for this uh, kickoff to this brand new series, which I'm calling My Best Life. And if this is your first time connecting with us, or if you're a little curious about uh, our church and congregation, uh, I want to encourage you to scan the QR code right here on the screen, and we'd love to connect with you and provide you more information about who we are, New Beginnings Community Church here in the Bay Area. But we've got folk who are connected to us online, literally all across the country and all across the world. Love for you to be a part of that community. Listen, my best life, my goodness. You know, a couple of years ago, Pastor Joel Osteen wrote a book called My Best Life Now. When I heard the title, even though I didn't get a chance to read the book, when I heard the title, I was intrigued and I kind of just tucked it away. And this year, when, we, when I started to pray about, you know, what is going to be the opening series for the year, suddenly this, that, this notion of my best life now came back to my spirit and came back again and again. My best life now. Type that in the chat. My best life now. What do you mean by that would be the question. Well, if you've been watching the news here in America recently, you uh, heard the very, very sad news of Mr. Uh, Bob Saget, uh, who used to play Danny Tanner in uh, the sitcom, very popular sitcom, Full House. Uh, he had just done a, uh, he's a stand-up comedian now, he's just done a, a routine there. I think it was in Mississippi. Went to his hotel room, went to sleep, and he found him passed away the next evening in his bed. He had died. He had, there was no foul play, there was no drugs involved. Uh, uh, everything suggests that, and he was reasonably healthy. He just simply died in his sleep. Uh, the folks said most likely he had a heart attack in his sleep. And as I've been paying attention to the news, I've heard various stories like that seemingly more and more frequently. Now listen, I'm not sharing this to be morbid or to be alarmist. No, none of that. Here's, here's the point. Uh, so often we're putting off living our best life until sometime in the future. You know, we say, you know, I, when I graduate from college, then I'll start living my best life. When I move out of this neighborhood or move into, when I move into my dream house, uh, you know, when I get married or when I get out of this marriage, somebody may be saying, right? Uh, uh, when I transition from a teenager to an adult, uh, when I finish my tour in the military, then I will live my, when I retire, that's when we will live our best lives. I'll live my best life then. Now, I want to encourage you. You should be planning for the future that's wise and prudent. Please do so. You should have enormous expectations and hope for the future. Absolutely. But the word that is going to flow through this series week after week that I believe God wants us to have, to know, in this period of COVID and and pandemic and uncertainty. Don't put off living your best life for the future. Live your best life now. Now, today, in this season, in this month, in this week, in this, in this moment, live your best life now. As I think about this, you know, one of the passages of Scripture that's been speaking to me very powerfully over the course of this week are the words that... Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, it's, it's a fascinating text, actually. He says this. He says, he's referring to God, has showered his kindness. 
Come on, can you say showered his kindness? The word showered there in the text could also be translated lavished. God has lavished his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Isn't it amazing? God has and continues to lavish his kindness upon us. Wow. The first thought that comes to my mind is, if God is lavishing his kindness on us, perhaps it's time for us to begin to give ourselves permission to lavish kindness upon ourselves. I think that's uniquely tied to living your best life is to begin to lavish, shower your life with kindness. Now, Paul is specifically referring to in this text forgiveness. He's talking about how God shows up in his son, Jesus Christ, and pours out his life in the midst of crucifixion. And through that, Paul uses these words that through that, uh, God purchases our freedom by making it possible for us to be forgiven of all. Can somebody shout all? All of our sins. He purchased our freedom. Wow, I like that. It's wonderful. You see, whenever we talk about being forgiven, we are always talking about freedom. See, forgiveness equals freedom. Now, the part of the verse that really stands out in what Paul says, first is this notion of God lavishing kindness upon us, challenging us to begin to lavish kindness upon ourselves. But the other part of the verse says uh, that he does that with all wisdom and understanding. Now, here's how I translate that. That God is saying, you know, you can talk about and hear me talk about forgiveness uh, forever. But until you acquire the wisdom that will allow you to understand how to unlock God's forgiveness in your life, you're just hearing somebody talk about it. You're not actually experiencing the freedom that comes from it. And as a result of that, you're not living your best life. Somebody shout freedom, freedom, that with forgiveness comes freedom from shame and guilt and all of the ways that shame and guilt and the pain that's attached to that stuff undermines and undercuts our lives. So today I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness, but I don't necessarily want to talk a lot about uh, your forgiving others, uh, uh, but I really want to talk about what it means for you to forgive yourself, what it means for me to forgive myself, what it means when you and I mimic and model what Jesus does for us on a daily basis, and that is Lavish kindness upon our lives by forgiving ourselves. Here's the question. How do I forgive myself? Would you type that in the chat? How do I forgive myself? Well, to begin to grapple with that, let's go straight to the event that Paul is really kind of talking about in Ephesians 1.8. And Luke takes us there. We find Jesus literally on the cross in the midst of crucifixion. Verse 39, we find the two criminals, one on one side and the other on the other side, interacting with Jesus. Here's what verse 39 says. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed at him and said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. 
But the other criminal protested and said, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? He says, we deserve to be here because of the crimes that we have committed. Come on now. Uh, 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 But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. Then the text says, he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. You know, I was 18 years old. I had just won an all-expense-paid trip to the Republic of China, Taiwan. had entered a national uh, competition and won first place. This was a big deal for me and our town and our school, and especially for my grand-aunt and uncle, who adopted me at the age of about two years old and raised me. And listen, when they brought me into their lives, uh, they brought trauma and drama. And, you know, I was on a direct course for disaster. But miraculously, the grace of God intervened and totally transformed me from a, a track towards disaster. And here I was on my way to the Republic of China of Taiwan, having won first place in the nation. I've shared this story before, if you've been around for a while, uh, on several occasions, but I want to revisit it again in this particular context. What does it mean to forgive yourself? I remember arriving to the Republic of China of Taiwan. I, had, I, I was scheduled to be there for two weeks and three days. And after the first couple of evenings, you know, I was too exhausted to call my grand-aunt and uncle the first evening. I was too lazy to do it the second evening. The, the third day, my cousin, Edna May, uh, inquired had I made the call just to let him know how I was doing. And I said, I hadn't gotten around to it. She said, don't worry about it. I've been calling him every day. I'm keeping him up the breast, and that's, it, it, it'll be cool. And I said, fine. So, the guys, you know, I went two weeks and three days without calling my grand-aunt uncle, not one time. So when I got home, full of a lot of joy, Jumped, uh, you know, approached my granduncle who was sitting on the porch, uh, you know, speaking to him. What's up, Dad? All I got was a hi. When I went into the house and I found my grandaunt waiting for me, she was fuming. She said, listen, all of the sacrifice we have made, all of the drama and trauma we have absorbed, all of the prayers that we have prayed, and you mean you went out of the country for two weeks and three days and you didn't think enough of us to call us one time? In that very moment, tears began to come from her eyes and I realized how horrendously, uh, how I had hurt them so terribly, so deeply. And immediately I began to feel this sense of, of pain and shame and guilt. And do you know, decades later, whenever I would think of that incident and the tears coming from my grand-aunt and the pain expressed in the anger of my grand-uncle, and just think of the context of all of that, whenever that memory came to my mind, you know what? I would feel shame, pain, and guilt. That was the proof that I had not forgiven myself. Now, what's fascinating about this, guys, is that I was, you know, it was in my 50s before I realized 
You know, I was still dealing with unforgiveness. I hadn't forgiven myself. Listen, I was a preacher. I was a pastor. I was preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he will forgive you for anything. And I actually believed that. And if you had asked me, had, had God forgiven me for what I did to my grand aunt and uncle, I would have said absolutely the case. But here, here's a bit of insight. Here's a little gift for us to lean in here, lean in here. The first insight. You see, when God forgives us, he sets us free. There's that word. He lavishes kindness upon us as he sets us free uh, from, 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 from what we've done, the results. He sets us free spiritually, and he sets us free eternally. But if you don't forgive yourself, it's possible to be free spiritually and eternally and still be in bondage psychologically and emotionally. And that's where I was. And that's where a lot of you are. You've been going to church for a long time. But when it comes to forgiving yourself, you're still in bondage. And you know, it's lethal to be trapped in unforgiveness. It really is. There are some folk looking at me now, perhaps, that you're still struggling with addiction. And the root of that struggle is you haven't forgiven yourself for some stuff in your past. There's some folk looking at me now. Perhaps you've put a lid on your career climb, your climb up the leadership ladder, uh, because you, you don't trust yourself with larger respons- greater responsibility. Why? Because you, you haven't forgiven yourself for some stuff that has happened in your leadership past. There's some folk who are watching me now that when you do your self-talk, when you talk to yourself, you talk in, with such brutal mean, dehumanizing words to yourself. You call yourself stupid and ugly and fat and horrible. And how could you be so this and so that? So, so dehumanizing to yourself all of the time. You say it in your brain. You say it out loud. And as a matter of fact, some of you go so far as not just to talk to yourself that way, but you talk to others that way too. Because generally we treat others the way we treat ourselves at least in the area that traces itself back to, guess what? Unforgiveness. It's dangerous to be locked in a place where you have not forgiven yourself. So how how, how do we go about doing this work of setting ourselves free? Well, shout free. Come on, say it again, free. Type it in the chat, free. I want to use the word free as an acronym to talk about the steps that I had to work through in order to reach the ability, the place where I could shower my own self with the same kindness that God had showered upon me from Cambridge Cross, and that is forgive myself. The first is this notion of free is the word you've got to frame the story correctly. Frame the story correctly. Think about the first a criminal that we read about. The first thing we experience from him is a bit of cynicism. Yeah, I heard, what, I heard you forgive all these people. Uh, you know, I, cynicism. You say you're the Messiah, right? Well, if you all of that, come on down, Savior. It's a cynicism. But I also suspect that if you had asked him about his story of how he ended up being in that place of crucifixion, perhaps he would have framed the story by suggesting that he was where he was being crucified because of what other people had not done or what other people had done as relates to him. It's somebody else's fault that he's there being crucified. You know, I could have 
frame my story with my grand aunt uncle very differently. I could have said, well, I just think that it was so unrealistic for them to, to, to amplify something that is just so petty. I mean, you know, I was only gone for two weeks and three days. I mean, they knew that I was out of the country. I mean, come on, guys. I, when I returned, you know, I, I came back and you're ready to share all of my stuff. I couldn't, I, I can't believe that they would, they would somehow uh, harbor that and become so angry. My gosh. And you see how I'm telling that story? I'm telling it in such a way that I'm the victim. Some people are listening to me. Somebody's listening to me right now. That's how you've been engaging life. That you are, it's rare for you to assume responsibility to frame the story that says, you know what, it's my fault. I, I should have done something differently. The problem with that, your soul deep down inside knows it's your fault. It does. And it cries to be free. It cries to be free. Notice what the second criminal does, though. Here's what he says. He says, hey, man, don't you fear God even when we've been sentenced under the same death? He says, listen, we deserve to die for our crimes. In other words, he's saying, listen, we're here because of our own doing. Perhaps uh, they had killed tons of people and some of those people have been, uh, were innocent that landed them where they were. He says, we belong to be here. And, and in his expression, he's really saying, look, it's, 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 it's my fault that I'm here, and I'm really sorry. Yeah, that, you, could, you can kind of read that into what he's saying. Uh, he framed the story correctly. Well, I didn't have any problems with framing my story as it relates to my grand-aunt uncle correctly. I immediately knew the pain that they were going through. It was my fault, and I sure enough was sorry. But I got stuck in that step. For decades, preaching and leading churches, I still was unable to forgive myself because the only step I took was I, was, I owned my stuff, but I didn't go further. Didn't know how. The second step that I had to learn to do then was to reprogram my thinking. Had to reprogram uh, how I thought about forgiveness, lavishing kindness upon myself in the form of, of forgiving myself. Now, the first thing that we face when we think about reprogramming our thinking as it relates to forgiving ourselves is the question, how could I have done that? You know, as you think about, perhaps as I'm talking, there's some stuff coming to your mind, some incident, some experience, some unthinkable that you participated in or something you said or something you didn't do, and it has haunted you through the years. That whenever it comes to your mind, there's pain and shame and guilt. You don't want to talk about it. And the question that comes to your mind whenever that shows up is, check this out, how could I have done that? Now, some of you, you know, particularly if you're teenagers, whatever the case is, maybe you, you can't relate to this. Well, lean in, take your notes anyway, because if you keep living, you're going to end up in a situation where you're going to need to forgive yourself. And the question that you will have to answer, that you'll keep asking is, how could I have done that? That's what I kept asking over the years. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so insensitive? How could I have been so uncaring? The first process uh, in reprogramming your mind is, is, to, is to hear what God's word says about the answer to that question. I love Psalms 103. Uh, David is writing about a God 
who lavishes his love upon us. He, he describes him this way. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits. He, he begins to talk about all the ways that God lavishes his love on us despite our unfaithfulness and despite all of the ways that we mess up. He says, listen, he heals, our, forgives our sins, all of our sins. And he goes from there to talk about how he's, he's full of grace and mercy, how he's slow the anger. He goes from there to talk about how he, he does not hold the things that we have done against us. He goes from there to talking about, talking about the lavish kindness that God is pouring out upon our lives. He says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, that is how great uh, God's love is for those who reverently fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed our sins from us. Isn't this amazing? And you've got to ask yourself, my gosh, why does he keep doing this? How does he keep doing it? How does he keep removing sin from our lives, lavishing such kindness upon us? And the answer comes in verse 14, here is the secret right here. It says, for he knows, shout knows, how we're formed. And he always remembers that we are but dust. What the text is saying is that when God looks at us falling in sin and falling in mistakes, come on now. And when he looks at us and sees us in the midst of our blindness, even after he's been so good at blessing us, watch this. The verse harkens back to when God shaped humanity out of the dirt. And it says it uses present tense. Come on. He knows. He remembers. It is to suggest that God is still in the process. Come on. Of using our mistakes and our lessons and, 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 and all of that stuff to shape us in who he's calling us to be. God remembers that we are works in progress. That's it. When I, when I think about, my gosh, how could I have done that? Well, listen, guys, I was 18 years old. I was wet behind the ears. I had grew up being picked on and laughed at uh, uh, in Cushetta. Come on. And now my life has flipped upside down. I, rarely did I get out of Cushetta, not much further than Shreveport, 40 miles away. But here I am out of the country, guys, and they're showering me with love and kindness. I'm the guy, I'm the, like a little superstar there. And, 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 and my maturity, come on now, had not caught up with my accomplishment. I didn't understand this notion of gratitude. I was too self-centered. Yeah, I was a work in progress. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, you were a work in progress. You are a work in progress. And then notice what uh, the second criminal says in verse 41. As we keep reprogramming our minds. First step, I'm a work in progress. You got to remember that. He says, but this man, he's talking about Jesus. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's innocent. Well, if Jesus is powerful enough Number one, uh, he's very innocent. He's not, has done nothing wrong. Number two, if he's powerful enough that when he dies, that he will be raised from the dead. What is he doing on the cross? Why is he there absorbed in so much punishment when he doesn't have to? Well, the writer Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, several thousand years earlier, gives us the answer to that question, which is 
critical to us reprogramming our mind as it relates to our ability to forgive ourselves and lavish kindness upon us. Here's what Isaiah says about why Jesus was on the cross. He says he was pierced for our transgressions, the laws that we keep breaking. He was crushed for our iniquities, the sins that we keep doing. The punishment that he absorbed, come on now, the punishment, that punishment brought us peace because it was laid upon him. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. Whenever we do horrendous things for which it's difficult to forgive ourselves for, there's a part of us deep down on the inside that cries out for justice. And there's a part of us deep on the inside that, that, that demands punishment. Yes. And so Jesus says, but you can't absorb the punishment that comes with, all, with the weight of all of our sins. So Jesus shows up, come on now, and on Calvary Cross, he takes the place of every human being and he absorbs the punishment on your behalf and on my behalf. That's why he's dying. And as he absorbs that punishment, that moment you believe that he absorbed the punishment that's due you, that is the moment you begin to experience Because the debt of punishment has been taken care of. And that text concludes by saying, by his wounds, the healing begins. Wow. Frame the story correctly. Reprogram your thinking. And then thirdly, you have to, what I had to do was I had to enlarge my life so that I could receive a gift that I really couldn't comprehend. That this, this really, this is a part of what keeps us from forgiving ourselves and even receiving the, 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 the lavish love that God pours into our lives through Jesus because it is a gift that, that we can't understand. You know, notice this, this second criminal. The first thing he does is he asks Jesus for something which he feels he does not deserve. And secondly, he prepares himself to receive something that he doesn't fully get, understand, comprehend. You see what he said in the text? He says, Jesus, oh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here's what he's saying. I know who you are. I know that you're not just flesh and blood, that you are God among us. Come on now. And, and they're going to crucify you. You're going to die. I'm going to die. But I know that death cannot, will not hold you down. And that at some point I'm believing that you're going to break forth. Come on now. And you're going you're gonna to take your place back on the throne, goodness, graces, and you'll, you'll, re, you'll resume your role as king of all creation. He says, in that moment, Jesus, if you would just look my direction where my, my dead body is buried, come on, because of the crimes that I have committed, if you would just look my direction and in your godness call my name, I know that I'll break forth in new life, free from the crimes of my yesterday. Now, what he was asking for, he could not come and he didn't think he deserved it. You know, we know he didn't feel he deserved it because he said a few mo moments earlier, 
we deserve to die. You know, one of the things that blocks us from experiencing the lavish grace of God, the lavish kindness of God, and showering ourselves with that same kindness as we forgive ourselves, is that we don't think we deserve to be forgiven. Because it is, whatever it is, was so egregious. You know, I often hear Christians confuse this notion when they say deserve, and they, 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 they talk about grace in the wrong way. The person says, you know, I don't deserve what God has done for me. What they're really saying is, uh, I'm not worthy of it. I'm, I'm not worth it. But when the Bible talks about the grace of God, it's not talking about the fact that we are not worthy of it. We're not worth it. The Bible's talking about we haven't earned it. And in the, in the good news story of what Jesus does for us, earning it and being worth it, is, it's decoupled. And the fact of the matter is, guys, we cannot earn the love of God. You know why? Because it's not for sale. It's not on the market. If it was, it would go to the highest bidder. If it was, it would go to the one who lived the best life. Oh, no. But the love of God flows from the uttermost to the guttermost. We used to sing that. But it's not for sale. It's not for sale. He loves you because you are his beloved. Notice the, the criminal didn't have to beg Jesus. He just asked. Now, I get some of you don't understand it. This sounds a bit confusing and challenging, and I don't understand the gift like that. And on the basis of that, you've walked away from the grace and forgiveness that comes to you through Jesus Christ, and you've, you've, you've been unable to forgive yourself. Let me tell you a quick story. You know, over the last several months, I've invited my friend, Pastor Tony Williams, to join us a couple of times to talk about his journey and his experience. But back in about 2018, uh, as he, when he was the senior pastor of Maranatha Church, uh, their, their congregation had, 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 because people had moved out of an African-American congregation, people had moved out of the San Jose area. It had gotten smaller. They had a mortgage on the facility that they had never missed a payment. But the bank got a little concerned about the size of the congregation and called the mortgage. Gave them several months notice and said, we're going to call the mortgage. Uh, Tony and his, his, his uh, leaders started to walk around the building, pray and pray, and say, God, we need you to intervene. And then out of nowhere, Tony gets a call from a, a woman who says, I got a gift to send you. She sends him a letter. He opens it, and in the letter is a check for a million and thirty thousand dollars. He was shocked. It was beyond his ability to understand. Number one, he hadn't, he hadn't even asked for uh, for when he called her to think and to find out why she did, which, by the way, was the amount of the mortgage plus. And he asked her about it. She says, well, you know, the Lord just just kind of spoke to me and my husband. And, 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 and they had never been to the church. Come on, they'd never been out of this ministry. She said, but we've been watching you. And we, 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 we like not only how you proclaim the good news that's in Jesus, but how you live it out as you, as you are a witness for uh, and speak up and fight for the marginalized and the people on the edges and how you demonstrate the love of Jesus. And we just felt moved to send you this check. Now, Tony says he was like, he was confused. He couldn't comprehend. He says, I don't know them like that. We haven't had dinner. We haven't talked about our kids. I don't know them this way. 
And in that moment, he had a choice. On the one hand, he's got a check that he cannot comprehend. He could simply tear that check up or send it back. On the other hand, he could take this gift that he could not comprehend and head towards the bank. <laughs> Which choice do you think he made? He headed towards the bank. And this is what I'm trying to say to you guys. Listen, the love of God is beyond our ability to comprehend. The grace of God is more than we can understand. But it becomes concrete in what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. And through that, he declares that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. There is nothing that can change the fact that you are my beloved. I love you. Come on now. Some people say I'm not worth anything. Jesus says you are worth everything my entire life. Oh, my God. I can't quite explain it, understand it. But I'm challenging you to do what I've done. Take the grace that God has made available and run to the bank. Receive it. Accept it. Yeah. And that then empowers you to give yourself. Because you know what that statement that you are beloved, you know, if you truly believe that Jesus died for you to facilitate grace and forgiveness to purchase your freedom, it says that God has decided, he has declared that you are worth his forgiveness. And if God says you're worth forgiving and showers you with that kindness, then why wouldn't you shower yourself with the same kindness and declare, since God said it, it must be true, I'm worth forgiving. Good God Almighty. Let me in here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Number one, you've got to, you've got to frame the right story. Number two, you've got to reprogram in your mind, listen, we're works in progress, and Jesus has absorbed, uh, he has absorbed the punishment that is due us. That debt's been paid, guys. Come on now. And at the end of the day, God declares that we are worthy of forgiving. You know, if my grand aunt, grand uncle was here, they would tell you that they never thought twice. They worked through their pain fairly quickly because, of course, we would forgive him. We love him. That is would have been their statement to me and to all of us. And finally, <laughs> we enrich our lives to receive a gift we can't understand so that we can do what I have experienced, good God Almighty, and that is experience our new freedom. Yeah, when I work through that, I begin to experience my new freedom. And, and, and notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He says to this fellow, he says, I know you don't understand all this, but just check it out. I'm going to grant your request. I assure you that today, this day, this moment, this hour, that you believe that I am who I said I am. Come on now. And that you are my beloved. That's why I'm dying here beside you. This day. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know what paradise is, right? Don't you? Paradise is the place, come on now, where there's nothing but perfect peace. Paradise is this beautiful place where you start life all over again. And when you're able to receive God's forgiveness, and when you're able to lavish that kindness upon yourself and forgive yourself again, Come on now, you start 
life all over again. You're moving to live your best life, and you will be able to declare what I was able to declare. I am free. Yes. You know, this last section, you know what you got to do in order to be able to say out loud, I'm free, shout, I'm free. You know what you got to do to, to finally say it? Shout, I'm free. Come on, say it again. I'm free. Type in the chat, I'm free. You know what you got to do? You got to let the pain and guilt and shame go. But hold on to the lesson. Let the guilt, shame, and pain go. And hold on to the lesson. I have told this story repeatedly now over the years to thousands and thousands of people because I've let the shame and the guilt and the pain why? Because of forgiveness. But I've held on to the lesson, the ultimate lesson that my grand aunt and uncle was trying to teach me is this lesson of gratitude. Come on now. This lesson of allowing them to participate, come on, in the, in the, in the, in the blessings that flow through the sacrifice and commitment of, 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 of them sharing in my life over the years. Gratitude. And you know what I do? I pay that forward every day. I, 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 every opportunity I get, I, I say thank you to my staff. My, my, my mother-in-law teases me regularly because I, I'm often showering her with kindness and declaring thank you for this and thank you for this. He said, you don't have to do it. But no, no, I have to do it because that was the lesson that flowed out of the pain that I have now been forgiven for. And that pain has not been wasted. Praise be to God. I am free. So let me conclude here. The next time you see that ugly, unthinkable thing that you have done, here's what I want you to declare. You might want to take a picture of these points. <laughs> I want you to look square at it and declare, yes, I see you. It was my fault and I'm sorry, but Jesus took care of it. I'm better because of it. And you know what? I am beloved. Say it with me. I am beloved. God. I am God's beloved. I am your, look at God, beloved. Amen and amen. God bless this to become a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Shout, I'm free. Shout, I'm free. See you next week. Okay, let's take a step of faith together. Listen, Scan the QR code right here on the screen. This is your opportunity to respond. The first option that you get on the next steps with Jesus is to say, you know what? I want to become a Jesus follower. I want to surrender my life and my destiny to the one who is the source of ultimate forgiveness and who empowers me to forgive others and to forgive myself. Why don't you go ahead and make that decision right now? It's a life-changing decision. This is your moment. There's some of the options there that you may want to consider. And then there's the response to the message. It calls for commitment. Here's the commitment. Here's how I'm challenging you to respond to the message. Simply commit this. I will forgive myself for whatever that unthinkable thing was that you were thinking about as I was teaching and preaching through this message. If you're ready to make the commitment, just raise your hand. Just check the box there. And if you made a commitment to Jesus just a few moments ago and you want us to follow up uh, with you, uh, there's a box there for you to check as well. And then here's a reflection question I want you to consider. Take a picture of it. And I want you to, it's going to help you to, to, to act on the response that you just committed to. 
What is the event, our incident, our experience? In some cases, it may be multiple experiences uh, for which I need to forgive myself. If it's multiple experiences, just write it out. Go back and listen to this message again. Begin to work through those steps. Yeah, set yourself free because Jesus has made it possible for you to do that.